This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Raise Your Game. I'm Christine Wong. In today's working world, transferable skills are everything. But what about transferable philosophies? How can we look at leadership and mental health in new or reframed ways? And how do we maintain a healthy relationship with leadership? I have president and founder of Shallowhorn Consulting, Carl Shallowhorn, on the line to discuss that and more. He's joining me all the way from America. So uh, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, hop on this call with me. Can you quickly introduce yourself for our listeners? Sure. Thanks, Christine. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a real honor to be on your program, especially from halfway across the world. And so briefly about myself, uh, I'm a credentialed addiction professional. I've also uh, worked uh, in that field for about 20 years. Uh, recently, uh, in the last uh, year and a half or so, I, I established my own business, uh, Shallowhorn Consulting. And from that, I've, I've done a number of things in terms of just developing programming, uh, training, a lot of focus really was mental health related, but then I branched off into leadership. Uh, I, I'm a graduate of a, a leadership program here in the, in the West York area where I live. And so I also uh, developed a program, like I said, based on this book that I wrote, Leadership Through the Lens of the 12 Steps. And so I, I use that now as a focus for delivering the program to nonprofit organizations and other groups that are looking to basically boost the uh, professional development skills of, of middle managers, emerging leaders, and people who they want to essentially grow with an organization so they can be the next generation of, of management leaders. Absolutely fantastic. Now, uh, as you mentioned, uh, you are an uh, alcoholism and substance abuse counselor, and you also have over 19 years of working in the behavioral health field as well. And I also understand that you have a personal relationship with those issues. So could you tell us a little bit about your story of recovery? Sure. Well, it's interesting. I, I live with uh, addiction and I also am in long-term recovery. I've been uh, clean, as we say, clean sober for 33 years. And I also live with co-occurring bipolar disorder. So it's a condition I've had since I've been about 18. So really, I've been living with this for over 40 years. And it's interesting. When I when I um, got into a 12-step program, which is how I developed the idea for the book, certainly, but when I got into a 12-step program, I discovered that there were some things and potentials that I had that I never would have imagined, of course, if I had stayed on that road of, of addiction. And so I, I began that path in 1988. I, uh, you know, a couple years later, I got into school. I, I took uh, coursework to become an addictions professional. I worked in that field for six years, but then I went back to school again. I got a master's degree and I worked in higher education for 12 years. And then right around 2008, when uh, the whole Britney Spears thing went down, when you know, Britney Spears was having trouble with her own mental health concerns, and I just had this idea of, like, why don't we hear more positive stories of people living with mental health challenges? So that really spurred me to share my message of recovery. I just want to let people know that recovery is possible. And I began to speak in this area of Western New York. I began to talk to other organizations. I developed a program for uh, young adults uh, in high school that are going to college. So I really began to do a lot of work on my own. And then eventually the opportunity presented itself to go back into the field of addiction. So I worked for a local behavioral health provider and I did that for six years. And then I transitioned to doing more advocacy-based work, mental health training, 
there's a program that I teach called Mental Health First Aid, mm-hmm. which is uh, an eight-hour certification program. So I did all these things, and it just evolved to the place where I'm now. And it's just been an uh, interesting kind of journey, I'd say. Fantastic. And also, uh, obviously, congratulations on, you know, uh, your journey of recovery as well. It takes a lot of willpower, I imagine, and also a lot of strength. So uh, absolutely amazing to hear that uh, you're still doing very well. Now, um, part of what you were mentioning earlier is your book, which is Leadership Through the Lens of the 12 Steps, which is sort of uh, what we're going to kind of primarily focus on for today. Although I do want to know a little bit about some of the other things that you do as well. Um, so for people who are not aware, can you tell us a little bit about the 12 Steps program and what it involves and sort of how, you know, you were inspired by that to write your book? Sure. The 12 Step program was really developed and written uh, by uh, Bill W., uh, Bill Wilson, in 1935. And, and so he was at the time a stockbroker in New York City. He, you know, failed many times at getting sober. He met a gentleman named Bob Smith, Dr. Bob Smith in Akron, Ohio. And they essentially came together to develop Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the original 12-step program. So he wrote the 12 steps. And really the 12 steps that he designed were, were based on the idea of, of self-improvement, the idea of improving one's relationship with, with those around them, relationship, as we say, with the higher power. Uh, which, of course, based on the 12 steps can be up to an individual interpretation. Uh, you know, the 12 steps don't dictate what a person believes in, in terms of whatever that higher power is. Mm-hmm. And and we just say that it needs to be something, you know, greater than you are and, and has the ability to help you along your journey. Also, the 12 steps are a, a way of, of discovering how to improve relationships with others. So there are things that you do in terms of like writing an inventory of, of uh, your assets, your liabilities. Also, um, there's a, a process of, of you know, looking at your shortcomings and character defects, as well as you know, making amends to other people. So really, the whole concept behind 12 Steps is really about, really, in the end, self-improvement mm-hmm. and ways to becoming that best version of who you can be in, in many ways. And so I think for, for really millions since, you know, 1935, of course, it's branched off into Narcotics Anonymous, uh, Gamblers Anonymous, uh, and other programs, along as, as well as Al-Anon, which is, you know, for programs uh, for, for loved ones, uh, for those who are, are uh, dealing with alcoholism. So all these social programs are based on those same basic principles. They are all based on those same concepts. And and what I've discovered is that those who prescribe to these, these principles, as we say, these spiritual principles, are able to kind of tap into something that is there. I believe that's within all of us, and but it brings it out. And so the idea is that through meetings, people gather in meetings. Of course, now many, if not most of them, are by Zoom mm-hmm. because of the pandemic. But by gathering in meetings, by being able to share with each other, by having some, I guess you can almost say, a sense of vulnerability and being open, that allows for the shared experience so that we can learn from each other how to make our lives better. Right, absolutely. And of course, you know, uh, I find it really interesting that these steps, you know, obviously are designed for, uh, you know, substance abuse or, you know, to help people through that that journey. But of course, self-improvement is for everyone, right? So I think that's a big reason as to why, you know, regardless of where you are in life, a lot of these steps and a lot of these ideas are helpful just to, you know, do a little introspection, be a little more self-aware and, and hopefully guide you towards, you know, um, 
I guess uh, being being a better person, really. I think so. I want I wanted to go through not all the steps because there are quite a lot. Obviously, there are twelve, um, but there are a couple of, of things here that I am curious about, uh, especially as it pertains to leadership. So um, there is a step seven and step eight, right? There's um, I believe step seven is we made a decision to address our faults and remove those shortcomings, and step eight is we made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all, and. Um, one of the things that I think is really interesting from a leadership perspective is at the moment, transparency and communication is so important, but it's very difficult sometimes as a leader to admit, you know, when you have made a mistake or when you have, you know, made a decision or made a choice that maybe was not the best for you or your company or your team. So I wanted to ask you a little bit about those steps and sort of how, you know, as a leader, you address moments in in life where you may have made a mistake and you don't know how to address that and sort of start to make amends. Christine, I think what it comes down to is is, is the idea of, of honesty, which of course also is a big part of the 12 steps, but not just honest now, honesty with, with each other, but honesty with yourself mm. and understanding that we all have limitations. We all have things that we can improve on. And so when we are able to recognize that we can improve, we're able to admit that we might have some faults and that's okay. And, and that's so once you're aware that you have things to work on, that gives you something to, to build on. So that idea of removing faults is, is more or less a way of, of acknowledging that, OK, I'm not certainly not perfect. And, and I might have made some decisions that might not have been best, but I'm willing to be open minded and learn. Right? We can all learn from mistakes. And I think that's one of the things that that really good leaders do is they learn from their mistakes. and They don't repeat them. So that's one part of it. And then the idea of, of you know, making amends and, and, you know, to those we had harmed. Many times in, in business, we know that, that along the way, some individuals will, will maybe not even intentionally, but, but um, through their actions, uh, and we say harm. When I say harm, it could be any number of different things. It doesn't, I'm not even talking physical harm, but it could be saying something to someone. It could be an action uh, that could be even discriminatory. It could be like, in the, like an example I give in the book, uh, which is where I actually had to make amends to someone, which is actually the actual making an amends, hmm. uh, is, is when I had a, a person who was a subcontractor who, who really didn't follow through with what he's expected to do. And, and I really handled it very poorly in terms of how I, I relinquished the relationship and I, I kind of let him go. Hmm. And so I learned a very valuable lesson and, but I had to admit that to myself and to him. And, and of course, I, I vowed to never do it again. And I haven't. And so, unfortunately, we go through these things that, that can be difficult. But if we learn, then that's the main thing. So, you know, and also, like I said before, it's about being vulnerable. Mm. And, and I think really good leaders are, are willing to show the human side of themselves, even though they might be put on a pedestal, I'd say, even sometimes in some organizations, but by being human. Mm-hmm. By being the person who's approachable, and and to recognize and to say, you know what, yeah, I messed up. Let's uh, let's fix this. And and so you know, and I think of course, I think certainly pride can get in the way yes. with, with some leaders. You know, you want to you don't want to let your guard down. Uh, and, and of course, there's ways to deal with it too. I mean, we we you know one of the things we talk about in the program. You know, this is where the idea of uh, mentoring and coaching comes in. I also you know have worked with a coach. And I know the value of coaching and being able to help someone along their journey and along their way of, of understanding leadership and how it means to develop those skills. So even having someone to confide in when you need to can be value. Mm. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you brought up a very important point, which I think is is pride, right? So I think that is a really important point. And I do like what you said about, you know, it is being honest with yourself and being transparent and actually having that conversation is sometimes so much better than trying to like put on a brave face and like soldier through it as if nothing has happened, right? Absolutely. And of course, a lot of people do that because there's this idea that you have to be you know, I mean, I'm talking about especially American culture, right? So American culture is built on on being the best and mm. being the strongest and being, you know, uh, the greatest at what you do. And of course, I think a lot of that is is is, um, the, I could use a term, but I won't. But it's 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 not it's not the best way to do things. I right. think really what it comes down to is is being willing to to look at yourself and and understand that. I'm okay as I am. And then, and, and kind of accept myself. When I accept myself as I am, I'm willing to look at myself and, and say, okay, I have things to work on and, and I'm going to try to develop those things. A lot of folks don't want to do that. They yeah. are reluctant to look at themselves. And so what I've done in, in this, this program and this book is try to provide the opportunity through the questions that are there is, is a means of self-reflection and that self-improvement. All right. Absolutely fantastic. Now, uh, it's time for a short break for some messages. But after that, I'll continue my conversation with Carl Shallowhorn, all about leadership through the lens of the 12 steps and more. You're listening to Raise Your Game here on BFM 89.9. Beyond Frivolous Matters, BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Listening to Raise Your Game, I'm Christine Wong. Joining me all the way from America is Carl Shallowhorn. He is the president and founder of Shallowhorn Consulting, as well as a credential alcoholism and substance abuse counselor with over 19 years of working in the behavioral health field. He talks about uh, mental health and leadership and all this stuff. He's the author of two books as well. We discussed briefly one of his books earlier before the break, Leadership Through the Lens of the 12 Steps, in, in very, very brief. But of course, if you want to learn more, you can, of course, find the book for yourself as well. Now, what I really want to hop on is specifically the relationship between mental health and leadership, which you uh, are also passionate about. How do you think the pandemic has affected the relationship between leadership and mental health? Well, it goes without saying that I think the pandemic has has uh, traumatized all of us. <laughs> and I mean that seriously in terms of the collective trauma that we've experienced. And so we know that with trauma, it affects people differently. Like what I might Feel to be traumatic, you may not, or another person may not. But I think with the pandemic, it's it, it sort of leveled the playing field, so to speak. In other words, we've all experienced something that has changed our lives. So when you talk about leadership, and you talk about how the pandemic has affected leadership, look at look at businesses and organizations, and and, and how they've had to shift the way they operate on a dime. I mean, I'm talking like in the, in the United States here, pretty much across the country, things shut down right around early, mid-March of 2020. Mm-hmm. And, and so with that, a lot of leaders, presidents, CEOs, and so forth, executive directors, were forced to, to change the way they operated, change uh, the functionality of their organizations. Technology shifted on a dime. Mm. And so with that comes a lot of pressure and a lot of stress. And, and with that also is this idea that um, people's mental health has been challenged in ways that have never been before. We know that anxiety has increased. Depression has increased. Substance use has increased. 
So with that, I think a lot of people who are in leadership positions have, have some of them have suffered and, and some of them have suffered in silence. We know that when mental health, many people are afraid to talk about it because of stigma. Mm. And when stigma occurs, that's something that, especially when you're in a leadership position, you don't want to show that vulnerability. You don't want to show that you are, are uh, you know, as some people would think weak. Now, we know that having a mental health condition is not a sign of weakness, but some people perceive it that way. And that keeps people from, from maybe even seeking the help they need. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the idea of this collective trauma is something that is very difficult to speak on and very difficult to to even understand, right? Like, I, I love the point that you made about we all experience it in a very different way, even though the same thing is happening to all of us in, in a sense, right? How do you as a leader begin to address this? You know, when you yourself are struggling with, uh, if you're struggling with anxiety, depression, and also having to be that force and be that anchor for your team and your company and your business, you know, what are some ways that a leader could reframe things or to address some of these issues um, for themselves and also for their organization? Sure. Well, it starts with, with self, right? And so in order to be able to promote health and wellness in an organization, I think it's important for the leader to, to try to model these things. Not to say, once again, you have to be the paradigm of, of, of optimal health, mm-hmm. but at least be someone who's practicing things that can, can be promoted within an organization. So, for instance, you know, you know, years ago, we used to kind of scoff at the idea of taking mental health days, right? Take a day for yourself if you're feeling just, just, just not well. I mean, one thing, I don't know if you're not aware, Christine, but depression is the number one cause of workplace absenteeism. Mm. It's not, you know, other conditions, it's depression. I can only imagine now even more so with the pandemic. So as a leader, it's important to take care of yourself. That's first and foremost. It's also important to, to establish protocols with an organization, to establish even policies and procedures around wellness. So to, to give you know, employees and staff an understanding that their mental health is important. It is a priority. And, and so I've, I've worked in the past uh, at an organization. Of course, it was a, it was a mental health organization, which sort of helped. It was a, the mental advocate for West New York. But, but it was the, the place where if I needed something, like if I needed to take care of a loved one, which I did at the time, I could take time off to do that. Or, or if I had a sick child, I could, I could do that. Or, or if I needed to, for instance, see a therapist, I, I could do that. So we want to be able to promote these things because in the end, if you promote that within in a, a business or an organization or a company, the workforce is going to be stronger and more productive. And we want to promote productivity. And the way you do that is by helping people stay healthy. And and so I've, I've done trainings around uh, you know, workplace wellness and so forth and self-care in the workplace and it seems to be one of the themes is, it, you know, it starts with the top. It starts with the leadership and then kind of goes down from there. Now, mind you, the, the, the uh, rank and file, the, the ground troops, so to speak, also need to, to take control and, and do things. But I think in the end, it, it does need to be something that, that's leading from the top in terms of how it's handled. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's it's one thing to put the policies in place as well, but you also have to, I think, foster an environment where, you know, uh, some of these policies can actually be used in a, in a healthy way as well. You know, I think if you have, for example, these mental wellness days, but no one really talks about them or how to use them or like you won't be judged for taking one day off you know, and using that, right? I think you've got to marry both ways. Put in these actual policies and putting these uh, guidelines and 
have some of these formalized procedures, but also I think there's an element of the environment of the workplace, you know, especially in these times when we're all remote, has to be made very clear, like, okay, no one's going to judge you for this. There's going to be no stigma for this. If you um, need, uh, you know, this kind of assistance, you can talk to us and you can be open about it uh, in like a safe space. Would you say that's that's fair? Absolutely. And, you know, one place I think we've seen where this can be done is when, when it's the orientation onboarding process. Mm. So in other words, messaging to new staff, new employees, that this is the way we, we do things here. And, and in other words, you want to establish it within a company and business and organization. Everyone you bring in who's new, you kind of indoctrinate to this way of, of how the workplace is. So eventually, it, it becomes part of the culture. In other words, it's not just a one-off. It's not just something that's, that's you know, written down on a piece of paper. It's a culture. Mm. And, and so it's also uh, this, is, this concept of trauma-informed, right? To be a trauma-informed organization is one that's sensitive to people's needs that might be dealing with something that perhaps uh, might be affecting their ability to work. So, so providing a place for safety and for, for this ability to feel comfortable and, and being able to talk to someone if necessary Knowing that, you know, I know here in the States we have EAP, Employee Assistance Programs, where people can go and get help. So it's being able to have these systems in place so when people need them, they're available before it's a crisis. Mm. Because, the, you know, when it's really bad when it's a crisis and then everything's falling apart and then that person may have to leave, you know, uh, you know temporarily or even permanently. Mm. Yeah, I guess it's kind of about uh, prevention and and uh, rather than reaction, I suppose. Um, now, I, I do want to ask a final question here, unfortunately, because we are running out of time. But the past year, especially, uh, not to say that it hasn't happened in previous years, but the past year especially has shone a light on a lot of social justice issues. You know, there have been uh, many controversies and, and a lot of issues around the world uh, in terms of politics and social justice that have occurred and have been highlighted uh, and spotlighted in a way that that I think, um, as for me personally, anyway, I can't, I don't know if I can speak for anyone else, but to me, it's been highlighted in a way that I've never really seen before. Sometimes even like things like reading news can take a toll, right? So I wanted to ask you a little bit about what do you think we can do in regards to our relationship with mental health and social justice? Well, first of all, I think it's important to be educated and to know what the issues are and, and also to be sensitive to to people uh, who are maybe, and I'll just use this loose term, who aren't like us. In other mm. words, people from different cultures to be more open and accepting and, and to be truly willing to, to look at someone and, and not just judge the book by its cover. We all have a story. We're all human beings. And, and I think people need to be respected. And so, so this is just my own personal opinion, Christine, that, you know, it's old adage of you treat others as you want to be treated. So mm-hmm. if you talk about social justice, it's a matter of being fair. It's a matter of, of equity. It's a matter of, 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 you know, being able to to understand and even empathize. And I think empathy is a big part of it, too. I'm always I'm always promoting empathy to look, you know, at, you know from the other person's perspective and try to see maybe the world through their eyes and understand that, you know, they might be having a very difficult time with something. And so we need to be sensitive to that. And I think, you know, like I was actually on an interview earlier about something uh, that happened here locally. I said, just be kind to each other. Mm. I mean, whatever happened to that? Uh, just be kind because, you know, we all have a story. We've all probably struggled in one way or the other in one time in our life. And, and a lot of times you don't know what that story is. So in terms of the bigger picture with social justice, I think we just need to understand that we're all part of this human fabric and that 
essentially we need to help each other and, and be there for each other because ultimately we are all you know, tied together in this 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 garment you know that of of of, of humanity that if, if if it starts to unravel then then we're going to lose it Absolutely. I think that's a fantastic point to uh, end our chat on today. So thank you very much, Carl, for taking the time to speak to me today all about leadership and mental health. Thank you for having me, Christine. If you have missed any of today's interview, you can download our app that's available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also head over to our website, bfm.my, to listen back to the podcast. I'm Christine Wong, and I've been speaking to Carl Shallhorn here on Raise Your Game on BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.